right, everybody, welcome to the Bible Center podcast. This is a new series that I am starting. I have previously podcasted on some history in the Civil War, Civil War Center podcast in the past, but this is a new project that I'm taking on. And we're going to start today in Genesis 1. So we will be going through the entire Bible verse by verse, looking at the context, the history, the Hebrew. Um, the meaning of it, all different kinds of things, different theories, um, schools of thought, what different scholars think, um, Christian history, all that different kind of stuff. So we will be looking at that together over the next, what I presume to be years, this will take to get through the Bible. Uh, But today we're just looking at Genesis 1. So we will be looking at the entire chapter Um, And then we'll go into Genesis 2 as well a little bit because that finishes up this creation account. Um, So we'll be going a few verses into Genesis chapter 2 as well to finish up the first creation account. Obviously when these stories were written um, and the Bible was, was being told orally, when it was written down, there were no chapters or verses. That was something that was added later on to make it easier to reference. And for some reason the break here has... The first chapter concluding in chapter 2, but it's the same creation story. So we will um, we will take a look at that. So for today, I will be reading and using um, a different translation than you probably have, which is okay. So you can follow along with whatever you have. We'll be using the complete Jewish Bible for most of this. And then we'll be looking at the Orthodox Jewish Bible as well. Sometimes I may reference the New King James, the NASB. For most of you out there, the New King James is probably the best Bible you can get. Um, I do like the NASB as well, which is similar to the ESV, but that's just um, some thought for, food for thought there. Also, uh, what we'll be doing in the series, and I want to bring this up, is we'll be asking questions that you may not typically ask of the scriptures. So we'll be asking things and bringing up questions, and sometimes we may not be able to resolve them. Um, Sometimes we'll put forth ideas that maybe we don't even finish formulating, Uh, and that's okay because we're going to learn to ask better questions of the scriptures uh, and learn to look at them in a way and interact with them in a way that we have not done before in the past. So we will begin with Genesis 1.1. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, um, an even better translation would just be, in beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, In the Hebrew, it's Bereshit, bara Elohim. In beginning, God. So that is how the Bible opens up. In beginning, God. The scripture actually opens with the bet in Hebrew. So I don't have the luxury of images here to help you, but you can look up the bet. And the bet, Hebrew reads right to left. So the bet actually faces to the left, and it's almost like a little parenthesis. So the text in Hebrew, like I said, is read left to, or I'm sorry, is read right to left. So everything to the right, we don't know. God doesn't want us to know. We may know a little bit more if we jump into the New Testament, and we'll talk about that. But here, we're beginning with our story moving to the, uh, to the left, and it's bracketed off to the right. I know it's a little hard to explain over just audio, but we're going to move from this bracketed off, and we're going to begin with all the scriptures going forward. So everything to the right is God's story. 
In Psalm 93, verse 2, it says, Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. So God always is, he always was, and he always will be. Uh, this is also demonstrated in several other passages of Scripture. In Psalm 90, verse 1 through 2, we see, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There is no question here of whether or not God exists. Questioning whether or not God exists is not an Eastern idea. That is a Western idea that's formulated after the Enlightenment period, where man begins to question. In the Eastern world here, the Near Eastern text that we are looking at, God is. That's why it says, in beginning God, Bereshit bara Elohim. There is no question of God's existence here. So there's no questioning of God. There's also no theogony for God, which is something that the Near Eastern accounts would always have. So the Babylonians and the Egyptians, the Assyrians... They had stories, creation stories, for the gods themselves, the gods that they believed in. There is no creation story here for Elohim. In beginning Elohim, in beginning God, God exists. And that's an undisputable fact. He has always existed, like the psalmists say. So that is something that would be very contrary to the theology of their neighbors. So the neighboring, let's say, pagans in this instance, would be very uncomfortable with this idea that there is no creation of God, that God has always existed. That is not something that they would have been familiar with. And they wouldn't have been familiar with this idea of one God. So the monotheism, in beginning God, Elohim, one God, not multiple gods like we see in the pagan uh, Babylonians and Phoenicians and Egyptians. So God exists, one God. There's no creation story. Another thing we want to take a look at is, is the Hebrew here. So as I mentioned, it's Bereshit bara Elohim. So Elohim is an ancient Hebrew word used for God. It is actually a plural word, but it's used as if it were singular, which we'll dive into here in a moment. So the verbs and pronouns used in Elohim should be in the plural, but when Elohim refers to the Lord God, the verbs and pronouns are actually in the singular. Um, there is a rabbinic commentary, and this commentary is as quote on the word Elohim. Come and see the mystery of the word Elohim. There are three degrees, and each degree by itself alone, and yet notwithstanding they are all one, and joined together in one, and are not divided from each other. So here, in the beginning, pun intended, we see the trinity. So we already see the Trinity in Elohim. It is three separate degrees, but they are one Elohim. So God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, in beginning, God created, created what? The heavens and the earth. So we're going to take a little scientific detour here and talk about some of the complexities of our world. So a typical galaxy contains billions of individual stars. The Milky Way contains 200 billion stars, 200 billion. And our galaxy is shaped like a giant spiral, rotating in space with arms reaching out like a pinwheel. And our sun is one star on one arm of the pinwheel. It would take 250 million years for the pinwheel to make one full rotation. 
And the average distance between one galaxy and another is about 200 million trillion miles. 200 million trillion miles. Our closest galaxy is about 12 million trillion miles away. And for every patch of sky the size of the moon, if you looked very deep, you would see about a million galaxies. God speaks and this comes into being. So we see the intelligence of design in the world around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The universe has just the right gravitational force. If it were larger, the stars would be too hot and would burn up too quickly and too unevenly to support life. And if it were smaller, the stars would remain so cool, nuclear fusion would never ignite. and There would be no heat and no light. The universe has just the right speed of light. If it were larger, stars would send out too much light, and if it were smaller, they would not send out enough. The universe has a just right average distance between the stars. If it were larger, the heavy element density would be too thin for rocky planets to form, and there'd be only gaseous planets. And if it were smaller, planetary orbits would become destabilized. The universe has a just right polarity of the water molecule. If it were greater, the heat of fusion and vaporization would be too great for life to exist. And if it were smaller, the heat of fusion and evaporation would be too small for life's existence. So we see this world being perfectly created. If anything was changed, it wouldn't come into being the way that it is. It wouldn't be sustainable for life as it is. And it's just a speck of what we see of what God Elohim creates with just a single word. Or just a few words, I should say. Let there be. And there was. So we also see the first thing about Elohim, God, in this opening verse. In the beginning, Elohim creates the heavens and the earth. So he's a creator. So that's the first thing that we learn about God. We already learn about something about God in these first verses. And that's is that he is a creator. So we learn that there is one God, not many gods. That there is three in one in that God, and that he is a creator. Verse 2, the earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. So here we're going to switch to the traditional Orthodox Jewish Bible for a second. And the earth was tohu wabohu. Um, that is what the English translates as unformed and void. But there's a problem translating it. We don't have two words to rhyme. Tohu Wabohu, which rhymes in the Hebrew. Um, in the English, we don't have anything for that. It's chaotic nothingness, welter, waste. Um, your Bible may have a different translation, but we struggle to translate that. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim was hovering upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, the wind of God. Uh, is another way of translating it, or the Spirit of God. And we'll talk about the Ruach quite a bit today and throughout our series. So the earth was unformed and void. Like I said, tohu wabohu, chaotic nothingness, welter and waste, astonishingly chaotic or void, no order. And the Spirit, or the Ruach, the wind, the breath of God, hovered over the surface of the waters. Um, and it hovers, merahephet, like a dove. Um, so we see the spirit hovering like a dove over the face of the waters here in the beginning of the Genesis creation account. So if we jump ahead to Matthew 3.16, we'll see a similar situation here where we see as soon as Yeshua was baptized, or as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God, or the Ruach of God, descend like a dove, Merahephet, and alighting on him. So we see the same situation in the beginnings of Matthew's Gospel, as we do here in the beginning of the Genesis creation account. We see the Ruach of God, Merahephet, like a dove, over the waters. And in Matthew 3.16, we see the Ruach of God, Merahephet, come down like a dove on Jesus, or Yeshua, in the waters. We also see the second thing about Elohim here, and that is that he is spirit. So we know he's a creator, and now we see that he is spirit, or Ruach. There seems to be things already in existence as well, um, if we don't read this the correct way. Because the earth was unformed and void. However, the verse 2 is subservient to verse 1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So God creates the earth, but it is unformed and void at this point. So verse 1 is dominant over verse 2. This is also a very common theme in Near Eastern stories, where, or Near Eastern creation accounts, where they involve watery chaos. They didn't have a concept of void. Uh, or a black hole of nothingness. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So the first step of God bringing chaos into order is bringing light. And this is the same way that the Lord works in our lives, right? And for him to bring order out of the chaos that is our sinful, depraved, and wicked lives is for him to bring light. And that is what God first does in the world. Paul actually writes about this. Um, he wrote about the light brought to us by the gospel. And he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Yeshua the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Yeshua's sake. For it is the Lord who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yeshua Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. So God calls light into the chaos. He illuminates it, right? God is the light in the darkness. We also see a third thing here about God, and that is that he is a speaker. He speaks, let there be light, and there is light. So God is a creator, a spirit, and a speaker. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening, and there was morning, one day. So we notice something strange here. And that is that there is evening and then morning. Not what we would typically think of morning and then evening, right? Our days start when we wake up in the morning, when we have our cup of coffee, maybe listen to this podcast. <laughs> but there's evening and then there's morning, and that's one day. So this is how the Israelites and uh, the Hebrews viewed their day. It starts with rest. It starts at nighttime, going to sleep. And this is going to continue throughout the chapter. We will see this again and again and again. Shabbat begins on Friday evening and it ends on Saturday evening. The day starts with rest. And we're going to see these pros again and again throughout this chapter. So there was evening and there was morning one day. There was evening and there was morning um, two days, right? And that's because this is poetry. 
And we'll see that more in a minute here. But that doesn't take away from how God created. That doesn't mean that that's not how God created the world. But how it is written down here is Hebrew poetry. And they're going to repeat that. We also see God emphasizing rest here. So for 400 years, when this was being told, this was being told to the Israelites who for 400 years were in slavery in Egypt. And their worth was being found in how many bricks they could make and how productive they were. So God is clearly telling his people here to rest, right? Your day starts with rest. That's the first thing you do is you rest. You do not start your day with work like we do. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the water. Let it divide the water from the water. God made the dome and divided the water under the dome from the water above the dome. That is how it was. And God called the dome sky. So there was evening and there was morning a second day. Uh, another way of saying this, and some Bibles will say this, some won't, is let there be a firmament. So some commentators and some scientists believe that here the Bible recognizes the existence of significant water vapor in the sky. Such a vapor blanket would greatly change the ecology of the earth. And Henry Morris suggests several effects of a vapor blanket. So the waters above the firmament thus probably constituted a vast blanket of water vapor above the troposphere and possibly above the stratosphere as well, in the high temperature region now known as the Inosphere and extending far into space. So it would almost be like a global greenhouse, maintaining an essentially uniform, pleasant temperature all over the world, um, the conditions that we see in the Garden of Eden. The vapor blanket would also filter out ultraviolet radiation, cosmic rays, and other destructive energies that bombard our planet nowadays, and these cause mutations, they decrease human longevity, and human and animal lifespan would greatly increase uh, with this vapor blanket. And then finally, a vapor blanket would provide the necessary reservoir for the potential worldwide flood, which we will see um, as we move throughout our series. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And that is how it was. So God says, and that's how it is. God can speak and let things go into being. God called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So we see that God names, right? So as we move forward in our account, we'll see a task given to man, and that is to name the animals. So God is giving us a task that he does. He's trying to include us in his creation. We're not just creation. We are beings that interact with God and that have responsibilities, then we do things that God does because he allows us to, not because we can do it on our own. God said, let the earth put forth grass, seed bearing, uh, seed producing plants and fruit trees, each yielding its own kind of seed bearing fruit on the earth. And that is how it was. The earth brought forth grass, plants each yielding its own kind of seed and trees each producing its own kind of seed bearing fruit. And God saw that it was good. So again, we see those pros. It was good. We will see that it was good. God saw that it was good. It's poetry. So there was evening and there was morning, a third day. So we see plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind. So it's a law of creation to bear fruit according to its kind. And so we want to talk about Luke 6, verse 43 through 45, which says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In Proverbs 11, verse 30, we see the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. And we'll see this again in Genesis 1, verse 11 through 12, 21, and 25. So, what is good produces good things, and what is bad produces bad things. The fruit of good things, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. So he shares this with others. He shares his fruit our fruit and our good deeds, right? But if someone has wickedness and evilness in their heart, they'll produce according to their kind. They'll produce evil and wickedness. So we see this law in the plants and the fruits, and it's going to be something that is throughout the scriptures, something we'll see again and again throughout the scriptures. God said, Let there be light in the dome of the sky to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, seasons, days, and years. And let them be for lights in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth, and that is how it was. God made the two great lights, the larger light to rule the day and the smaller light to rule the night, and the stars. God put them in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. So two of the most important gods in the ancient world were the sun and the moon. And here we see them being turned into a lamppost. They're for signs and seasons. As are the stars, dozens of gods here are thrown into just lampposts. So this is a groundbreaking concept of this monotheistic god. And the gods that the people of the Near East believed in, they're just side notes. They're not gods. They're for signs and seasons. They're just lights in the sky. They're not these great gods that that the pagans believed them to be. And uh, that's something that would have been heretical to them. God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open dome of the sky. God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that creeps, so that the waters swarm with all kinds of them. And there was every kind of winged bird, and God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the water of the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth each kind of living creature, each kind of livestock, crawling animal, and wild beast. And that is how it was. Again, God says it, and that's how it is. God made each kind of wild beast, each kind of livestock, and every kind of animal that crawls along the ground, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, and the likeness of ourselves, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the animals, and over all the earth, and every and over every crawling creature that crawls on the earth. So let's talk about the Trinity here. So this is a controversial passage. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in the likeness of ourselves. So who is us? Who is ourselves? Whose image are we made in? So rabbinic apologists would say that God here is speaking to the angels. But there's no explicit mention of angels in this context, nor has there been any mention of angels throughout this chapter. So if we look at Genesis chapter 1, is God alone or is there someone that he's talking to? Right? So let's move on a verse and then we'll keep going. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So God is there. And the Spirit is there. That is who God is talking to. There's no mention here of angels. It doesn't say angels are made in the image of God. He says, let's make mankind in our likeness, in our image. And we saw the Ruach of God, the Ruach Elohim, over the surface of the deep. So some say that it's not the Spirit of God, but the wind of God. But this doesn't take into account the wisdom of God in the creation account. So creation was done, some say, some say this, that creation was done as a prefiguration of the creation of the tabernacle. So if we jump ahead to that in Exodus, in Exodus 31, 2 through 5, we see Adonai, God, said to Moshe, Moses, I have singled out Betzael, the son of Uri, the son of Or, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, or the Ruach Elohim with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge concerning every kind of artistry. He is a master of design in gold, silver, bronze, cutting precious stones to be set, wood carving, and every other craft. So in Hebrew here, it is clear that there's a connection between wisdom and the spirit of God, or the Ruach Elohim. I have filled him with the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge concerning every kind of artistry. So wisdom, the spirit of God is wisdom, understanding, knowledge. That's what the Ruach Elohim is. And we notice that almost every time the spirit is mentioned, there's almost always an association with knowledge and with wisdom. So God creates the world through his spirit of wisdom. Proverbs 8 goes on to expand on this explicitly. In verse 27, uh, going through verse 31 here, it says, When he established the heavens, I was there. The Spirit of God was there. When he drew the horizon's circle on the deep, or face of the deep, which we see the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. So when he drew the horizon circle on the deep, or the face of the deep, when he set the skies above in place, when the foundations of the deep poured forth, when he prescribed boundaries for the sea so that its water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was with him as someone he could trust. For me, every day was pure delight as I played in his presence all the time, playing everywhere on his earth and delighting to be with humankind. So Elohim and his spirit, his Ruach, are together. In Proverbs 3, verse 19, we see Adonai, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. He established the heavens and founded the earth by wisdom. Proverbs 104, 24, and 30 what variety there is in your works, Adonai. How many of them are there? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creations. Verse 30. If you send out your breath, your ruach, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Job 33 verse 4. It is the spirit of God, the ruach Elohim, that made me. The breath of Shaddai that gives me life. So in the first chapters of the Torah, you already have the Trinity. So we can see the Trinity. We can see it throughout the Pentateuch, um, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the whole Bible. Right? We also see it in some of the Targums that come out of this period. We have the Jerusalem Targum. So you may be asking, what is a Targum? So this was an originally spoken translation of the Hebrew Bible. It would be given in common languages of the listeners that was not biblical Hebrew. Um, and there was also commentary that would frequently expand and add to the translation with uh, paraphrases, explanations, examples. It was almost like a sermon. 
And here we see in the Jerusalem Targum, quote, In the beginning, with wisdom the Lord created, and the memra, words or speech, of the Lord created man in his image. End quote. What does that sound like? John 1, verse 1. Right? So if we jump to John chapter 1, verse 1. So I pull it up here. We see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. So we see the Trinity. So this notion that the Trinity isn't biblical, that it wasn't there, is just false. We see it in the Jerusalem Targum. The Memra, God created with wisdom and the Memra. He created with the Spirit and with words. He created with the Spirit and with the Son, with Yeshua. In another Targum, we see in the beginning with wisdom, the Son of the Lord created the heavens and the earth. In the Memra of the Lord created mankind in his image. So we see right there the Trinity. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the, bird, the birds in the air, and every living creature that crawls on the earth. Then God said, Here, throughout the whole earth, I am giving you as food every seed-bearing plant and every tree with seed-bearing fruit. And to every wild animal, bird in the air, and creature crawling on the earth, in which there is a living soul, I am giving as food every kind of green plant, and that is how it was. So God gives man dominion over the whole earth. Um, it seems that humans are vegetarian until the flood, in the pre-flood world, um, because only vegetation is specifically mentioned as being given for food. Uh, and we won't see that man is given permission to eat the flesh of animals until Genesis 9, verse 3. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So once man is created, it is very good. So there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. Now into chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, along with everything in them. On the seventh day, God was finished with his work which he had made, so he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and separated it as holy. Because on that day, God rested from all his work which he had created so that it itself could produce. Remember, that was what the Lord commanded, was to go forth and multiply. So, one thing we see in Genesis, as I mentioned, is that it is poetry. We see the prose of the biblical Hebrew throughout the text. Sometimes we wonder when we read the Bible, why, does it, why is it so repetitive? Why does it repeat itself over and over again? So if we go back to verse 27, we see, So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we say, why does it repeat like that? Well, that's biblical Hebrew poetry. Um, it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't have meter like it does to us today. Back then, it was repetition, but slightly changing the phrases. So we see the poetry and the prose of the book. We also see it in the literary structure of the Bible, uh, I'm sorry, of Genesis 1, and that is that it is a chiasm. So a chiasm is a rhetorical or literary figure in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are repeated in reverse order, which sounds big, but we'll explain it here in a second. So if you take days 1, 2, and 3, let's make a little chart here. 
So on one side you have half one, and on the other side you have half two. So if we write under half one, day one, light. Day two, sky. Day three, land. Now on the other half, where we wrote day one, light, we're going to write day four, plants. Where we wrote day two, sky, we're going to write day five, sun and stars. And where we wrote day three, we're going to write day six, animals. So if we fold this in half, we see that it inverts in on itself. On day one, light is created. And what corresponds to day one is day four, where plants were created. Well, plants need light. On day two, we see the sky was created. And on day five, the sun and the stars were created. The sun and the stars rest in the sky. On day three, we see land is created. And on day six, animals are created. Animals live on the land. Even if we look at the paragraph structure, certain texts show this better than others, but... We have what starts with an A paragraph, a baby paragraph, and then B, a mommy paragraph, and then C, a daddy paragraph, followed by C, a daddy paragraph, B, a mommy paragraph, and A, a baby paragraph. Its paragraph structure is perfectly paralleled in the same way. So you might say, what, what does that matter? What's the point of the chiasm? So even if you see the fact that the biblical structure here, and I recommend maybe looking up a chart online of a chiasm of Genesis 1 so you can see it for yourself or writing it out. But you might ask yourself, what does that matter? What's the point of that, right? So we see that the poem starts with nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, tohu wabohu, chaotic nothingness. So it starts with nothing. It ends with nothing. It ends with rest. So if we flip the poem in on itself... The center verse is seasons. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, seasons in Hebrew is party, rest, Shabbat. It's resting. This poem starts with nothing, rest. It ends with nothing, rest. And in the middle is rest, nothing, rest. So God is emphasizing to his people, rest. Again, they had been in slavery for 400 years God wants mankind to rest. Your worth is not found in your productivity. Your worth is found in being created in the image of God, like we see in verse 27. So he's a creator who knows when to say enough is enough. At some point, we have to be done. Just all we can do has been done. We can't do any more. If we keep doing more, it's going to actually have diminishing returns. So we could keep creating, but it's not going to be beneficial. We are to rest as Elohim did. He didn't need to rest. He rested for our sake so we could follow his example, just as we are to follow Christ's example. This is why Shabbat is so important and why it's going to be so important throughout the Torah, throughout the scriptures. Don't find your worth in productivity, but in what God has said about you in rest. You are created in his image, in his likeness, male and female, he created you. So we also see that one of the messages on the structure of Genesis 1, the chiasms, we see repeating again and again. And I'll include some um, images and things like that in the, the description of the notes so you guys can see how deep this goes. It's very, very, very elaborate, just as the universe is elaborate. It's a commentary on how God created the universe and on the universe that God created. It is elaborate. It's an intricate web. It never stops. It's perfectly put together. And we see that in the poetry here of Genesis 1. Thank you for joining me this week, guys. It's been a great time discussing Genesis 1. I truly hope you glean something from this. 
Um, I pray the Lord bless you and be with you and keep you this week. And I hope that you'll join us again next week as we jump into the rest of Genesis chapter 2. Thank you guys.